0: Hey, everybody, we're talking to Noah Cochran, a.k.a. Chili today. He's an amazing guy. He's an entrepreneur and a world-class ultra-marathon runner, already a great friend of mine. You definitely don't want to miss this conversation.
1: Welcome to The Last 10%. This podcast dives into incredible conversations that will inspire you to finish well and finish strong. Your host, Dallas Burnett, is the founder and CEO of Think, Move, Thrive, which exists to create cultures that others envy. His secret is learning from the best. Listen as Dallas' guests share their journeys and valuable advice on living in the last 10%. If you are a leader, a coach, a business owner, or someone looking to level up, you're in the right place. Remember, you can give 90% effort and make it a long way, but it's finding out how to unlock that last 10% that makes all the difference in your life, your relationships, and your work. Now, here's Dallas. Welcome,
0: welcome, welcome. I am in Thrive Studios, sitting in my 1905 Koch Brothers barber chair. And more importantly, we have an amazing guest with us today. Actually, Today, it's a real special day because we get two guests for the price of one, right? We get Noah Cochran, ultra marathon, amazing ultra marathon runner, and we get Chili, who is all up in entrepreneurial adventures and leadership training in 307, but there's a surprise reveal today, they're the same person. So welcome, Chili and and Noah.
2: Yes, sir. Not many people know that's the same person, so uh, I'm excited.
0: We've just had this huge reveal here on The Last 10%. It's amazing. Let me just tell you quickly, you know, Chile has run, or Noah has run, over 40 ultramarathons. That is more than 40 than I have ever run, or probably will ever run. He's had, not only has he run 40 ultra marathons. He has set course records in 15. So a large percentage of the races he's won, he's not only won, he set the course record. His 100 mile personal record was 14 hours and 48 minutes. Now I did the math and that averages out to like, I don't know, eight minutes and 52 seconds a mile. That is for a hundred miles. That is ridiculous. Holy cow, man, you are moving. And then he is also part of Chile, as he's known, as part of three of seven, which, I mean, when you get to talking about this, I'm so excited to hear more about it because it just sounds like the coolest organization. So um, tell us a little bit about this ultra barathon sport and how you got involved in it.
2: Running specifically has been a part of my life. I always say I came out of my mother's womb running. That's just naturally what fitted me. I always loved to run. So I ran all through elementary school middle school, high school, you know, the cross country and track that a lot of people do. And I really started to love it, love it when I was a junior in high school. And I said, man, I want to go to college and run on a team. And so I really put in the work, never thought I would be good enough, but was fortunate enough to get a, a, get a scholarship to run cross country and track at a small school in Tennessee called Bryan College. And I was not very fast in high school. You know the shorter distances just really didn't suit me. I worked hard and was able to go there and be a part of the team, and I loved a lot of it. I really did. But after one semester at Brian, I said, "You know what? I'm meant to run further. I'm meant to run longer. I want more out of this. I want to move closer to home. I just this isn't working." So after one semester, I actually moved back to Chattanooga, started going to UTC, and. Just started running ultra marathons on my own, just completely left college running. And so I was 18 at the time I ran my first ultra and it's taken off ever since.
0: So when you say short distances, I mean, you said like short distances were just not working for me. What's a short distance for you in terms of that? I mean, cause it just seems short may not be my short. So
2: in college cross country, you run eight K, which is five miles. So that's to me, that might as well be a hundred meters on the track. That's super short. It's just, <laughs> it's just not in my wheelhouse.
0: Oh, so you go to college, you really think that's what you want to do. And you know, you start running and then you realize like, this is not what I thought it was going to be. Right. I mean, it's just like, this is, I think there's more want to test it out. So, you know, tell us about that time and like, was it hard for you to leave? I mean, like, was that a difficult decision or was it like, no, no question, easy decision?
2: Well, you know, ultra running hadn't really popped into my mind when I was in high school. It's just not really on the radar. It's kind of an obscure thing; not many people do it. I would say that it's because it's so difficult that not many people do it. You know, it, it wasn't even on my radar. To me, the next step was just college running. Couldn't think of to do anything else because I knew running was what I loved to do, and I didn't know how else to advance in it other than to go to college to run. And when I was in college. I was introduced to ultra running. I saw it and thought, man, that is what I need to do. And I basically just felt so strongly, felt such a strong pull towards it that I said, you know what, I have to, I have to leave and I have to pursue this because I know there's something for me in it. And that's why I left. So it, it wasn't a very hard decision.
0: So you just fell in love with it right off the bat. Like As soon as you were exposed to it, you're like, no, nah, this is my deal.
2: You know, I always knew I was geared more towards the longer the distance, the longer the race would go, I was better. And when I saw ultra running, I said, man, that seems like an arena that I can push my body in to a greater extent. And I think I'm good at it. And I don't know why I thought that. I guess it's just arrogance because I had never even done it before. But I said, you know, that suits me.
0: You know, everybody's wired different because I've never looked at an ultra marathon race and was like, yeah, that's totally. I mean, like, I look down the track, I'm like, man. I think I can make it to the end of that track pretty quick. Let's do it, you know, but I've never looked at an ultramarathon race like, yep, that's for me. I look at that. I'm like, yep, just go ahead and dig a hole at the end of the race because you'll put me in it if I even make it. So that's awesome.
2: I never felt that I had a great deal of natural talent in running. I never felt that way. And to me, I realized that the longer the race went, the less speed was required. The less natural talent was required. I guess it's a talent in some sense, but it's not just traditional speed talent that you think of. And I thought, man, the longer this goes, the more it becomes a mental game.
0: Oh, wow. Love that.
2: And man, and man, that suits me because I may not be the most physically talented, But I'm tougher
0: than anybody else in the world, so. Oh man, I love that. So you start playing to the advantage when you reach the physical limits of endurance and whatnot. It's the mental game, you know. And so that's uh, so you're putting yourself in a position to win because you know you're you're mentally tough. I love that. So tell us, like, so your first, you kind of get exposed to it. You know, you get out there on the, the start line. Did you have a lot of training regiment when you were preparing for that first race? Like, if you think back, back to your first ultra. Did you feel like you had this like, you know, butterflies or were you like, no, nah, man, I've been training for this. I've had a good training regimen when you first started.
2: I decided early on that I was going to win the first ultra that I did. That's what I believe.
0: You just said that right when you started like, if I'm going to do this, I'm winning it. The first one
2: I said, man, I know I'm good at this. I know I can do this. And I'm going to go prove it. So I was talking to my parents about it. And I said, I know I can win this. That's what I'm going to go do. And they were kind of like, well, how are you going to win this? You've never done this before. And I said, trust me, I'm going to do it. And I went out and signed up for this race that was a last man standing race. So basically it's a four mile loop and, and you have an hour to do it and you run four miles in however long it takes you. And say if it takes you 45 minutes, then you sit and wait for 15 minutes until that hour mark, and then you go do the loop again. So the race can last forever. There's no end to it.
0: There's no end. Last man standing. I mean, you run it until?
2: Until there's one person. Yep. Oh, my gosh. And I said, that's the perfect mental game. I said, man, I know I can win this. So I went out there. I had trained, but I trained kind of like I had always trained, like an 8K runner, you know, a 5K, 10K runner somewhere in that range just a lot of speed work and didn't really train specifically for ultras I didn't know how but I said I know I can win it and I went out there and man the longest I had ever ran at the time was 15 miles I get to 20 miles I get to 30 miles I get to 40 miles and the field's dwindling down I'm like man I know I'm going to have to win this 10 hours in 43 miles in the wheels fell off the wheels absolutely fell off I didn't make it back in an hour And I was not the last man standing. I was not even close. I was like in 15th place and I didn't make it back. And I said, well, that was a reality check. (laughs) I said, I think I may have went into this a little, a little cocky and a little unprepared. What I did was I reset and said, okay, I'm going to do this again. But when I do this again, I'm going to have put in the work and I may not win, but I'm not going to have anything left on the table. I'm gonna put it all out there. So I'm either gonna win or I'm gonna do my absolute best and exhaust everything that I have in me and then I'll be okay with the results then. So what I did was I trained for a year. I trained for a year as an ultra marathon runner and I did long runs. Man, I was averaging 120, 140 miles a week for many weeks at a time in the summer. And I said, Okay, I'm gonna do this. So the next race I signed up for was the Georgia Jewel Hundred Miler.
0: The Georgia Jewel. I'm assuming that's in Atlanta or in the Atlanta area. Is that right?
2: North Georgia. It's pretty close to Atlanta.
0: North Georgia? Oh, that's even worse because there's hills in North Georgia. Oh, goodness. So were you running in all the terrain? It wasn't flat where you're running this.
2: The next race that I signed up for, the Georgia Jewel, was it's a 100-mile race over really technical, rocky terrain. There's even an eight-mile section in it called the Rock Garden. And it's just nothing but rocks, man. It's so slow going hard to move fast. It's just people fall all the time, bust their knees and the race is over. It's a rough race and it has around roughly 14,000 feet of elevation gain. So a flat race would have zero, right? And this has 14,000.
0: That's a lot of running uphill for a hundred miles.
2: A lot of up and a lot of down.
0: And a lot of down. Yeah. Hard on your body, man. So that's amazing. So tell us about that, because like when you're running 100 miles through the rock garden, 14,000 feet of elevation in a race, I would think that the absolute stress on your body is insane. You know, how do you deal with that? You know, obviously training before the race, but like, what does it take while you're running the race? And then after, how do you recover from something like that? And during the race, so talk to us a little bit about the strain on your body and what you do to combat that.
2: Yeah, well, the training and the preparation is the most important. If you haven't physically put in the work, your body will essentially revolt against you somewhere before the finish line. It may be 40 miles in, it may be 70, but your body will turn on you in a drastic way like you couldn't imagine. So the preparation is essentially hardening my body and my mind to be able to withstand whatever comes at me. So I don't just train whenever it's nice out whenever it's 70 and sunny. I actually seek out whenever it's the hottest part of the day. All right. That's when I'm running. Whenever it's the coldest part of the day in the winter. All right. Looks like a good time to run. You know, another thing I'll mention is if you run a hundred miles, even the fastest people are going to experience some nighttime running, going to end up running into the night. So you need to train running with a headlamp running at night. Not a lot of people do that. And man, if you don't practice it, you trip all over the place. It's you can't even imagine the different game that that is. So I try to leave no stone unturned. I try to train in the most difficult times. But the key to my training is specificity and consistency.
0: I love how you talked about training your mind and your body is that you're not just prepping your body because I mean, like literally, if you're running 120 miles a week, you're like running almost a marathon a day. That's mind boggling. And that's just your training. So then you're running all this. But you're not just training, like you said, you're not just training your body to get used to running this really long race. You're training your mind how to approach the long race. And then you're adding in the expectation that you have on, you know, hot, cold, nighttime, all these other you know, factors that you really can't control. You can't control the weather. So what you can control is when you go run while you're training. So I just love how you're mixing it up. That's fantastic.
2: You said it best, man. You don't know what the race is going to throw at you on that day. There could be factors that you haven't even considered. But if you go out and train in the worst of the worst, then you have already ran and prepared in conditions that the race may be as bad, but they can't be worse. You've got
0: this mental confidence built up because you're like, you know, you know, it might be as bad, but I know I can do it. If it's this bad, cause I've already done it, you know, and that confidence. I love it because I was listening to something the other day and was talking about how you don't just have confidence. Confidence is built over time and experience. So when you go through something and you accomplish something, you do something, then you have confidence. So when you approach it again, you've got this thing in your bag. It's like, nah, man, I got this. And so it's exactly what you're doing. Oh, it's outside. It's blazing hot. No problem. I've done it in blazing hot before. I'm confident I'm going to whip this. I love it. I love your training approach. That's great. Back to the ultramarathon. You're going through this is your first kind of like, now this is different than the last man standing. This is a true ultramarathon.
2: Yeah, just a true 100-mile race. And so
0: you take it on. So tell us about it as you go through that.
2: Like I said, this was only my second foray into this world. And, you know, I had so much confidence on the first time, and it didn't go as well. But this one, I had even more confidence. But I think it was warranted because of the work that I had put in. To me, that's the difference in confidence and arrogance. Arrogance is kind of unwarranted confidence. When you haven't put in the work... I felt that I had put in the work. I knew that I had put in the work. And I said, man, just because this is my first hundred mile race doesn't mean that I have to take a back seat to anybody. Cause there was a lot of people there that had plans to win, just like me. And they were way more experienced than me. And you know, I'm just a twenty year old kid who had never done this before. So who was I to think I could win? But I really didn't care about any of that. And so that was my mindset going into it. And I said, you know what? I'm gonna take this off the front. I'm going to make every single person out here have to catch me. And they're never going to see me until the finish line. And 100-mile race doesn't seem smart to go out like a bat out of hell. But, <laughs> but uh, that's pretty much what I did. I ran seven-minute miles out of the gate.
0: Was people looking at you like, this guy's insane? Like, I could just imagine the start line. Everybody's like, ready, set, there he goes what and everybody's kind of coming out or was it
2: i didn't know this until the finish because you know i wasn't talking to anybody during the race but yeah a lot of stories were told that day that people thought i was a complete idiot and they were getting ready to watch me blow up that was a lot of the talk so
0: oh that's awesome well that's okay so so you take out your strategy is i'm gonna get in front of everybody make them catch me you go through you're running the race so to walk us through what happens
1: next
2: Ultra marathons, especially of that length, are really, really broken up by aid stations. So every five or 10 miles, there will be an aid station where you can grab water, grab food, because you have to eat. That's a big mistake people make, because they don't eat enough during a race. So grab fuel and get hydrated at these aid stations. So basically, that's how I broke down the race. I broke the race down into digestible pieces. So I didn't think, okay, I've got to run 100 miles. No, I thought, I've just got to make it to the next aid station. And as long as I just kept making it to the next aid station and first, eventually I will win. That's what I did. So I got to the first aid station and I was in first and my dad was there, my crew. He's the best crew in the world. We switched bottles and you know, I got the food I needed and I said, "All right, I'll see you at the next one." And sure enough, I got to the next one, I was still in first. Got to the next one, was still in first. Got to the next one, was still in first and uh honestly, the race is a blur. There's not much I even remember from what happened other than I just kept making it first to the next aid station and uh, eventually won
0: oh my gosh so you won you won the race
2: yeah I actually uh i set a new course record at that race i broke 20 hours for the first time that had never been done at that race at the time and uh yeah
0: that sound means it's time to take a break and hear a word from our sponsor if you lead an organization or a team, one of the biggest challenges you face is developing your people. Think Move Thrive is here to help you on your journey. We've developed a coaching system that integrates into your team or organization to consistently develop your employees, build trust, gain valuable feedback, and increase accountability. The leadership retreats and summits are great. We even build those custom for our clients, but they're only part of the solution because they lack consistency. Our one-on-one coaching app is the missing piece in your employee development program. We help new leaders get to know their teams. We help technical managers be more relational. And we help ensure that your relational rock stars stay organized. We developed the system for a client and it was so successful. We created the app to help more organizations develop their people, build trust, engagement, and you guessed it, performance. For more information, go to thinkmovethrive.com. To learn more about the one-on-one coaching system and start developing your team today. Back to the show. You gotta be feeling like at the end of that, you gotta just be like, man, this was sick. This is awesome. Like I did what I came to do.
2: I was super excited, but I was more just relieved that I I had done what I told everybody that I could do. And leading up to it, I, I was telling people, hey, I'm gonna do this and I know I can do this, but until you do it. You're just all talk. At that moment, crossing the finish line, I was no longer just talk. I had proved it. So,
0: Well, I think, too, you set out and you said you believed in in a certain potential. You just felt like you possessed in this particular, you know, like you just felt like, look, man, I've decided that ultramarathon is what I'm made to do. And I'm geared for it. I love it. I love running. I've ran all my life. This is what I'm supposed to do. And I've put in the time. And so, you know, I should be able to compete and my goal is this. And so it's just coming out and hitting that on all cylinders. It just, what I would say, you achieved the potential, you know, that you had said that you had in the beginning and you just, you said it, you, you achieved that and you, you met your potential on that race and for that day. And so, man, that's, uh, it happened to be better than anybody else's, you know, so, uh, Man, well done on that. So after that, what next? Like, I mean, and oh by the way, what's so funny is you said it's like you have a pit crew at all these aid stations. It's so funny. Like I'm thinking, like a NASCAR. You're pulling off. You know, they're changing out their shoes and eating food and changing water bottles. And it's like you got these people just working on you. Like, okay, I'm ready, and you're boom, see at the next stop. That's so funny. But that's amazing. Well, congratulations on that. And would you say that was one of the harder races, not only because of the elevation and things like that that you've run? But also because it was the first, has it gotten easier for you because of that confidence? Because you've taken on that and you know the elements and that type of stuff. Was that one of the hardest ones to get over? Or would you say there's been some other challenges in your races?
2: Contrary to what you might think, in ultra running, ignorance is bliss at times. (laughs) (laughs) Honestly, that may have been one of the easier, most simple races I've done because I didn't know what to expect. Wow. I literally, man, I ran for 20 hours. I didn't think, I just ran.
0: That's so true, though. I mean, even outside of ultra, like if you're an entrepreneur and you're going out there, there are so many times where it is absolutely better that you do not know everything because the risks and all the hazards that entrepreneurs are hitting every day are so, nobody would do it. It, It'd just be like, nope, 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 not going to do that, not going to do that. And so. I think you're exactly right. I think that's a great parallel. Just if you're in business and you're running the race and you're wanting to start a business, just you know, there are times now you got to know enough. It's like you said, you prepared, you were as good as you could be going into that. But at the end of the day, you can be as good as you can be and you're still gonna face things that are totally out of your control. And the more that you go through, you're like, I am crazy for doing this. You know, like this is insane. Now I know all the things that can go wrong. I, and I'm still doing this, you know. So Especially for you serial entrepreneurs out there, you know, I'm sure you know what I'm talking about on that too. So, all right. So you've completed your first one. That's an amazing experience. And you've run over 40 now. Which one do you have a favorite of those 40? Do you have one that you just look at and you're like, that one was my favorite, one of my favorite races?
2: Yeah, I would definitely say that my first 100 miler was, it was just so special. That has to be one of my favorites. I think another one of my favorites would have to be, it was a 50 miler. In September of 2020, I was just thankful that races were not canceling at that point because previously in that year, everything was canceled and, you know, I couldn't do what I loved. So I was just thankful to be there. It was in Alabama. It was called the Rebecca Mountain 50. And I was just so pumped to be on the start line. Once again, my goal was to win and set the course record as it basically always is. I really don't know how else to uh, approach it. So same thing. I mean, it's just my style, man. I took it out hard and just broke it down into digestible pieces, said, man, I'm going to get to the aid station first and keep doing that. And sure enough, I was 45 miles in. I had a three-hour lead on second. I was like, man, I want to crush this course record. And right about that time, something out of nowhere. I'd never felt this before in a race. My chest, heart, I don't even know what it was, kind of like seized up. And I essentially was just bent over, kind of shuffling my feet, it just bent over like an L, I guess was the shape. Completely bent over from my waist, couldn't breathe. It was the strangest thing that's ever happened and I was like, "Oh my gosh, I've got 3 hour lead on second and they're going to pass me because I can't even move." I basically just did that until the end. I essentially shuffled in, walked in, whatever you want to say, and I was like, "Man, they're about to catch me. I'm going so slow. I'm not going to set the course record." And when I got to the finish, I was just thankful that no one had passed me because I had won. And I was like, oh, man, but this is so slow. And then I looked up at the clock and I had broke the course record by over 30 minutes still.
0: You actually had to just take your foot off the gas for the last five miles. You had this breakdown, you know, and so you're like bent over thinking the fact that you're like when you talk about mindset. I mean, this is the mindset of an ultra marathoner, right? You've been running for 45 miles. And you've got five to go and you can't breathe. And instead of going, you know what? I think I'm just going to sit down here and like <laughs> recover to breathe. No, the ultramarathon runner says, dang, I hope nobody passes me for the last five miles <laughs> while I bend over and suffer through it. And you still, still shatter the record by half an hour. That's incredible.
2: Yeah. A lot of times you experience adversity in, in all these races, you're, you're just, just a guarantee. But I had never experienced anything like that. So being able to overcome that probably made that one of my all-time favorites. As unfortunate as that was to have happened, it's almost enjoyable when something goes wrong every now and then because it gives you a chance to see how you're going to respond. When everything's just clicking on all cylinders and everything's going well, you don't really know what you're capable of when things get really hard. I was thankful when something out of my control happened and I could either choose to fight through it or let it break me.
0: Man, I just love that. That is so awesome. I love that perspective. That is so like dead center of what we would talk about at the last 10%. When we're talking about people who live in the last 10% and the mindset of people that are approaching things that are difficult, but finishing strong and finishing well. I mean, the fact that you approach, and it's all about mindset and your perspective. And if you translate this to your life, and people going into work or people going into their families or just anything they're doing, I mean, some people will say, well, if you just expect bad things to happen, you won't be surprised when they happen. Well, that's one level. But I think this is a whole nother level where you're like, not only am I expecting bad things to happen, but I'm pretty excited when bad things happen because then I get to see how I'm going to respond to it. And it's a challenge for me. And I'm really excited to see because I think I'm going to respond well, but I'm going to find out it's a test. And so I can't get tested until I go through something bad. So it's not only like I expect something bad to happen, it's like, I'm looking like, oh, what's next? What's around? Oh, oh, something's going wrong. Oh, let's go. And, and just an incredible, because that helps you keep moving forward. You see it as a chance to overcome. You know, there was a book, The Obstacle is the Way. And it reminds me of that mindset. You're just going through something. You're waiting for it. And you're like, okay, this is the obstacle I've got to get over in order to get to the finish line. And so I thought, oh, that's huge. I think that's just a great point. And whether you're running ultra marathons, whether you're leading your family, whether you're starting a business or just leading a team, when you have somebody on your team that's coming in and approaching you that's just got really difficult or they face a difficult situation, instead of just being like, well, I expect it. So we're just going to deal with it. That supercharges you, supercharges you. All right. Now we have an opportunity to see what we're really made of. So that's, I think that's a great point. So now let's talk about a little bit about you're going through these races. You've had some success. Do you get to know people? I mean, obviously you're at the top of your game, you're at the top of this, you know, sport. And I would think that it's usually, if it's like other sports, it's a pretty small community at the top. I mean, do you know other runners or, is it something where you guys are you know know each other and you have relationships with other runners? Is it a community that's tight, or is it kind of like you do your thing and everybody else does their thing?
2: I'll say several things to that. One, you're absolutely right. it's kind of a, a small community and and I think it's divided into two groups: the people who some people just do ultras just for the community aspect of it. Just go out to, you know, meet people and challenge themselves. And, you know, there's a variety of different reasons. And I'm in the camp of more, I'm there to win. But I honestly, I wouldn't say that I'm in the top echelon of ultra runners. I mean, I've had some success, but I look back at what I've done and, and think, man, I'm really unsatisfied by that. I have a lot more to do. So I don't even view myself as, as one of the top ultra runners. The community aspect of it, yeah. There's a different communities within an already small community of ultra running. And and I definitely think what you're saying is true that the top people kind of gravitate towards each other, but I've always just been kind of a, a lone wolf, I guess. I mean, I train by myself most of the time, whenever I'm training for a race, I don't have a coach. I've always just uh kind of came up with my own training plans and done it how I thought best. And, you know, talked to my dad, who's not an ultra runner, but a runner. And so I've just kind of always done it myself. And this is not something that I would recommend. I've actually think I've really missed out being, I don't know what it was. I think I was so hyper-focused on my own success that I really missed out on a on the community that ultra running has. And that's kind of one of my flaws that I'm trying to correct now, not missing and, and not overlooking you know all the other people out there that may not run as fast as I do or whatever, but like they're great people and great people to learn from and and I'm so worried about myself, I miss those relationships so so yeah, I'm really glad you brought that up that's that's something that I over the past two years have really tried to work on
0: well, speaking of relationships while you run over the past few years, you met somebody during a race, and uh, it kind of led to something a little bit different, so I guess introduce us. I guess now is where Noah gets to introduce us to this person called Chili. So this is where Chili arises. So tell us the story about this relationship.
2: I'm glad you mentioned that about the community, because back in 2019, when I ran the Georgia Jewel, I was in that mode of just really being focused on myself. You know, I would pretty much show up to races, line up, not really talk to anybody, go run, hopefully win, and then leave, you know, not really get a lot of the, Relational aspect out of it of what all ultra running has to offer, and you know, I thought the Georgia Jewel was going to be the same type of thing. You know, I, I crossed the finish line, my parents were there, and I was talking to them, and and I was you know happy. And then I thought, I don't know what compelled me because, like I said, I was in that mode of not doing this, but I said, you know what, that guy who talked to me out in the middle of the race, I'm going to wait for that guy. There was this long haired, bearded guy who was in second place and I said, "Man, that guy was interesting." And he encouraged me, you know, and I want to talk to him. So, I waited 2 hours after I finished for him to get through. And I waited and finally he came in and I said, "Hey man, I just wanted to meet you at the finish and, you know, congratulate you on your race and just talk to you." So, we ended up talking for about an hour, just me and him about what he had done previously in life, what I had done, how the race went, future goals and everything else. And, you know, he had told me about, he was a a Navy SEAL for 11 years and he was now uh, running ultras to just continue to challenge himself. And and he told me, he said, man, I've got this business that I've created. It's called a three of seven project. And he explained to me what it meant. And he told me that they were a training company and wanting to get it started and that he was going to start a podcast. And so he actually invited me as a guest on his podcast few weeks later, I did that. It was, I think it's the fourth episode of the 3 of 7 Project. That was Noah Cochran. And then we became friends after that. Chad's brother, Blake, is who he started the business 3 of 7 Project with. So now we're all three great friends. And Chad and Blake started calling me Chili. So that's where the name came from. In 3 of 7 Project, I'm not known as Noah Cochran. I'm known as Chili. If anybody listens that's aware of what we do, you'll know who Chili is. So. But yeah, we met at the race and then started working together. So that's how this relationship happened.
0: So let's talk a little bit about 3 of 7. It's um. Tell us if you were going to tell the listeners what 3 of 7 is and what it seeks to do and accomplish. Tell us a little bit about that.
2: So 3 of 7 was started with the idea of, of just helping people and helping people improve their lives. And we believe that all humans are composed of three essential elements. We're composed of a body, a soul, and a spirit. And your body, obviously that's your physical body, and your soul is your mind, will, and emotions, and your spirit is just that. It's your connection to God. And so that's what the three represents. And the seven is the biblical number of completion. It's a theme throughout the Bible, just represents completion. And we believe that through the nourishment of your body, soul and your spirit. And only through that, can you live a complete life if you're lacking in any aspect, you know, if you're say your, your soul and your spirits in order, but you don't take care of your body, well, you're not going to really live a complete life, you're not going to get the most out of life. So all three are essential. That's why and how three of seven project was created.
0: I love that name. And I love the meaning behind it. It's got such uh, mission and purpose all tied up in it together. And I love how you guys approach that. and, And I think that a lot of times, companies, especially that struggle with culture, they just can't get their team members, you know, focused on something that they, they've got to discover what it is that's that meaning and that focus, that purpose. Because, you know, when you talk about that, that three like seven, you can just feel it, you know, like you're just oozing with just purpose. You're loving it. And when you're describing it, it's like, this is what it is. You don't have to look cue cards or notes. to. I mean, because it's in you as part of you. I would encourage our listeners, if you're running a team, if you're running a business, definitely, you need to second, just check and just make sure that you have infused that meaning. It doesn't matter what the company its It doesn't matter if you're you know, selling a product or a service. It's all about getting to the heart of what you do and how you're adding value and changing our world for the better, and then tying that to the daily work, to the task, the hand. And so we love that last 10%. You can't get to the last 10% if you don't know why. You know, if you don't have a strong mission, vision, value, or purpose that's pushing you, then there's no way you're going to make it to that level of success. And so I appreciate you sharing about kind of the background of the, the meaning of the name and its purpose. And it's just, that's so tight. So tell us about what you guys actually do. Like, tell us a little bit about, you know, what 307 offers to its clients.
2: I don't know if I've said it before, but Pretty much we do so many things that it's difficult to even even describe or pin down. So we just say now we're a training company and we have a podcast. That's the most succinct way that we can break it down. So we do the podcast just to share value and to share what we've learned and it's kind of a means of communication with our listeners and we try to keep the lines open and it's really enjoyable for us to do and we feel like it connects us to our audience better. So that's why we do the podcast and the training aspect, there's many components. You can come out and train with Chad and Blake, primarily run range training. Blake was a police officer, a member of the SWAT team. Chad was a former Navy SEAL. So tactical training on gun range, rifle, handgun, whatever, top of the line training on the range. Or we have a program called Nuff Said Running, where you can come out and train with us for a weekend. And we'll teach you everything we know about ultra running and there's leadership components to that. We also have an event called the Basic Course. That's kind of the uh, premier training that 3 of 7 Project offers right now. It's a three-day backpacking trip, and we don't like to give out much information. You'll learn things. There's some survival aspects of it. There's leadership aspects. You can find more about it on the 3 of 7 Podcast if you want to check it out. We talk about some of the details. We just keep a lot of that hidden. We want people to come out with little expectations, but just be ready to train and be ready to work as a team. All of these, uh, you will be working as a team with people that you may not know.
0: Yeah, no, that's great. I think that's fantastic. Well, I, um, we'll get to it at the end of the show. We'll tell people how they can get in touch with you and all that stuff. I want to talk to you a little bit about, you know, we talked about your experiences as an ultra marathon runner. We talked about three of seven and how you're helping people grow as leaders and grow as teams. So let's talk about a little bit about how you approach some things. Like if you were to say, you know, we talked about some of the challenges that you faced in, you know, the physical aspect of your running. When you think about as a runner and also as a trainer, leader in this organization, when you think about people and teams performing at the highest level and they're really hitting on all cylinders, what comes to your mind is the most important aspects of that?
2: Two things is what sets apart people who are operating at the highest level in in any field or any activity, whatever, is consistency. I harp on it all the time, but you have to put in the work if you're going to operate at the highest level, period. There's absolutely no way to get around it. There's no way to shortcut it. There's no way to cheat it. You have to put in the work, and consistency is, is really the name of the game. Also, people that operate at the highest level, one thing they all have in common is they have a greater purpose for doing what they do. You know, if you're an ultra runner and you just do it for the sake of running, man, it's kind of meaningless. You know, like you're just running through the woods. If that's all you're doing and there's no greater purpose behind it, man, like you're not going to do that very long. You're going to run for a while and go, well, this is kind of dumb. So like I said, the greater purpose for why I do that is to challenge myself, improve myself, find where my limits are, and then use that and use what I learned to help other people. That's my greater purpose for doing it. So that's what gets me through uh, the challenging times of it. And anytime that you feel like, man, you don't want to do this anymore, I've got something to fall back on that's bigger than me.
0: You've got to have something that's going to push you through Just the muck and the mud when you get bogged down because it's going to happen no matter what you do. If you're an athlete, you know, if you're in business, education, it doesn't matter. You're going to hit something where it just feels like you're spinning your wheels or you're having to get through this just, you know, really tough time. You got to have something that's more than emotion, that's greater than emotion because your emotions are going to go up and down, up and down, depending on the day, how how well the day's going, how well the day's not. So you got to have something that's going to help you grind it out.
2: Emotions
0: are terrible leaders. Yeah, (laughs) I love that. I love that. Emotions are terrible leaders. Yeah, I agree. That's awesome. So usually at the end of the show, towards the end, we always ask the guest if there was somebody that they would like to see or hear on the last 10% in some future episode. You actually did talk a little bit before the show, but you actually said you did have one. and. Tell us about James Ward, why would you select him and what's his deal?
2: James Ward is a friend of mine and a friend of all of ours at three and seven project he He actually works with us on some things sometimes um He's not a member of the team works with us in different capacities and and works with something that we put on called the Proving Ground and you can find more information about that, but he's what he does is runs an organization called Heart for Lebanon and he travels overseas. And works with people. Some of the people suffering the most on this planet. He's just a fantastic dude. He runs ultras as well. Almost everybody we do anything with runs ultras, I guess. But uh, <laughs> he he's he's just a fantastic dude. He runs a great team. I would just love to hear uh, him expound more on what he does because he says it much better than I do. So
0: that's awesome. All right. Well, let's talk about this. How can people reach you if they want to reach Chile? And three of seven, how do people get in touch with you or where can they find your podcast?
2: Podcast is on all all platforms. It's just three of seven podcast. You can check us out on, on Instagram, three of seven project, our website. Uh, you can find more information there. We'd love to train with you.
0: Noah, Noah and Chili, this has been a fantastic show. I just can't tell you how much I appreciate your time and all the, all the wisdom that you kind of just just shared with our listeners. I mean, we covered everything today. You know, arrogance is unwarranted confidence. I thought that was gold that we're going to experience. Like you said, we experience adversity in all races, but it may be a running race or it may be, you know, something you're doing, you're racing in your life. But I love that when you said whenever something goes wrong, you're looking forward to seeing how you respond. That's just, you're looking forward to that thing going wrong emotions make terrible leaders you have just filled up the bucket of leadership today man and i really appreciate you for that so thank you for sharing all that wisdom with our team and we'd love to have you maybe we can have you back on the show again sometime because this was just so much fun maybe we'll reach out to uh james and see if we can get him on an episode in the future as well so i really appreciate it we look forward to uh having you on the show again sometime so thank you again noah and we'll uh catch you
2: soon awesome sounds good thank you man
1: Thanks for joining us today on The Last 10%. We hope you found today's content engaging and encouraging. Remember to subscribe to the podcast to hear the latest episodes and help us out by rating and reviewing us so others will join our community. We release new episodes every other Tuesday. This podcast can be found globally in any podcasting app, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Amazon. Subscribe today. Plus, visit our website, join our email list, and discover resources and info for your business and team at thinkmovethrive.com. Thanks again for listening to The Last 10%.